Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, indeed. And this week, or I should say last week, Colin, you went deep, deep into learning mode again, which is always fun when you do some research because you're pretty good at, at researching. I'd say that's it's one of your key talents you Thank bring you. to this partnership. <laughs> I have a friend who like uh, prides himself on research. I was hanging out with last weekend. It's like, yeah, just being like resourceful and good at research and good at Googling. It is one of the more valuable skills you could have nowadays. Yeah, that is the thing. I'd say part of that, it's, it's what do you do with your research? Is that are the notes that you're creating? And yeah, you'll, you'll share meeting notes even in itself. It's just like I was in the meeting, so I didn't have to go to it. So it's great. Yeah, um, that was funny. At the previous firm, I started doing that and then I, quickly got tamped down. Oh, we don't actually want all that in writing. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you did. You're the only one who replied, oh, these are great. And then the next reply is like, don't do this. Don't share yeah. these. <laughs> we don't want this. We don't want that. We, yeah. So you dug into DeFi, decentralized finance, right? Do I have that correct? Do I have at least that much? Uh, yeah. Versus TradFi. TradFi would be traditional finance. Got it. So before we dig in to DeFi, I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast, we all have one or two friends who went deep on this maybe last summer or even before then. But like with the pandemic, this has seemed to pick up and my cousin, Aaron, who I wanted to have come on the podcast, but was a little hesitant. Maybe he still will. He got really deep into it. He's a, a tech guy, generally pretty smart and savvy. And I, I don't know his reasons for it, but he got real deep into this world. And I have no idea if he's made a bunch of money, but I'm pretty sure he's made a bunch of money. Yeah. So next week we have Jason on who's was just on Eric Jorgensen's podcast and he was like the biggest DeFi expert. But I figure I could give a primer and like my experience over the last two weeks of diving into it. And that would be interesting to people. And then we'll ask, you know, more advanced questions next week. Cool. Yeah. And I guess what is it is, is a larger question of like, it's a way of, you know, transacting outside of banks and traditional institutions, right? You're not on a, an exchange, you're not trading or exchanging funds tethered to anything like the modern markets or the SEC has any touch around. Give me like a, an overview of why somebody would use DeFi. So at a high level, it's recreating most of the functions of the existing banking system in a decentralized way. Uh, exchanging coins, exchanging different dollars, like all that stuff is being rebuilt, borrowing, lending, and it's all built on Ethereum for the most part. Some of it's on like Solana and different platforms. Uh, but it's all when traditional banks would have 10,000 people working on something like these decentralized exchanges have the same amount of money moving through them and it's 10 people. So the rates are significantly better because there's just not that overhead. And so what are the, the functions in traditional finance? In my experience, it's like the big, one of the bigger costs is risk compliance with laws, compliance with and changes with laws, ensuring you're not laundering money for somebody. Those are the generally like the high level arguments for why we need a 10,000 person company to clear loans or whatever else. And, and so by creating, I know this much that there, the Ethereum allows you to create smart contracts. You can create your own sort of contracts that, and how would you define a smart contract? Oh man. If we're like asking me to teach a course on this, this isn't going to go very well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's essentially right. It's like you get to, you can define the terms and the contract will respond to that. So it's, you don't need an administrator is my understanding. You don't need someone clear a payment and manually or yeah, manually check that like 
we have a physical signature on this document. Let's talk about a house, like purchasing a house. I don't know that anybody's defied uh, a home purchase, but I'm sure somebody's working on it. Home purchase, you uh, you sign an offer, you go through some steps, you know, that you do an approval or sorry, an inspection, you approve the inspection, and then you decide, hey, we're going to close in 30 days or whatever that time frame is. And then you go to a closing and the money exchanges, you sign the paperwork, not in that order, but like these things happen, right? And they happen in a certain order and everyone needs to like, have a sign off and, and you have literally a, a processor that signs a hundred pages of, of paper and they review it with you and you have to have your attorney there. And it's my understanding of a smart contract is it basically removes that. It's, Hey, we're going to use digital versions of, of things to ensure that they happen. Things like if you default on a loan, there's collateral and things like that. So I, and I could be talking on my ass because again, you're the expert in this conversation, but that's my understanding of them. That's how you can run these systems with so few people. Yeah. So I'd say the whole protocol is running autonomously. Like all the trades happen with no human involvements and prices are set automatically. Liquidity is added, removed like worldwide as people see fit and the rates adjust accordingly. Uh, so it's definitely all programmable and there's no like human intervention is what you're alluding to. As far as compliance and all that stuff, I think the SEC and banks are certainly spooked by all this. And that's what happened over the last couple of weeks is like Coinbase was like going into uh, like interest bearing accounts. So there's like yield in a lot of this decentralized finance stuff. And BlockFi and Gemini and all of them have had yield bearing accounts for quite a while. So you could earn, let's say two to 8% on like stable coins or Ethereum or uh, Bitcoin. But then for some reason, when Coinbase moved to do it, they're like, this is a security and we're going to regulate you. Hmm. And Brian Armstrong came out and said, hey, everyone else is doing it. I don't know why we can't do it. So I'm not an expert in the SEC, like whether it's a security or not, it's probably moving closer. Uh, so the SEC couldn't regulate Bitcoin or cryptocurrency before, but they can regulate securities. So this may be a, a back-end way for them to regulate cryptocurrency. Yeah. So a couple of things that I've, you know, and I don't know this to be true because I'm not a, an absolute, I don't know this to be absolutely true, I should say. But the SEC takes political pressure, right? They're, they're part of the government. I assume that there's an aspect to, hey, the, could this be turned into something? Could this be blowback from the meme stock craze? Could this be blowback from just what the markets have been doing, especially around cryptocurrency? And the argument that it's used by criminals, that it's, you know, this, this sort of uh, video games make you violent fallacy like that we, we had in the 90s where they, they thought that all these games were causing violence it's it, it has nothing to do with it it's a, a fallacy but we still had people on capitol trying to ban mortal combat so I'm, I'm going back to the the 90s and, and what was interesting to me then but this is a government institution that is charged with making and i'm going to get bastardize this a little bit but they're there to make sure they're a watchdog they're there to make sure that people aren't getting screwed people aren't getting wolf of wall streeted and that's been going on for happened in, in the 80s and 90s and it, it probably will never go away fully so they're understandably vigilant they're looking for bad actors and so i'm of the mindset like there is some regulation or we need to have these fights we need to have these sort of like incursions into Coinbase's plan, prove that this is above board and let them prove with a sensible understanding. You have to have savvy people that are making these decisions is the problem. And, and I think that's why like we wanted to have this conversation. Like, this is, it comes off as something that's incredibly complex. Once you say blockchain, people glaze over and it's, I don't think blockchain is necessary. I'm sure it's an underpinning of how the technology works, but it's like, it has nothing to do with what the SEC has an issue with. 
Like, I think what their issue is that people may think that they can make money when there's a chance that they can lose money or, or whatever else. They're there to protect the consumer. Yes, I would say, so diving in, like I wanted to experiment with like, a couple hundred dollars and just move stuff around and try it all out. And everything is super difficult and complicated. If you wanted the average person to do this, like you would need a whole new interface. I think on-ramps have to be like a hundred times easier for the average person to like use or trust this very hard. And then along the lines of security, so the ideal security, uh, so simple security is just like uh, MetaMask. So you get this wallet that you set up in your Chrome browser and that's where your money's stored and that's the most safe place. But MetaMask in your browser by itself is not terribly secure because it's just like a passphrase. If you have that touching the internet anywhere, people can hack it. And it's like just 24 words. If they have those 24 words, it's like they have your bank account plus the password plus like every key to that bank mm. account. So the way you do it is you have a physical wallet, which is like a little USB drive and the password shouldn't touch the internet. And then a backup you have, you write it down on paper or you write it down on like steel because steel would last long if there's like a fire or something. And then people break that up in half and then they put it in like different security boxes around the country. So if one uh, box was compromised, they wouldn't actually have the other half of your password to you know access all your funds. But setting all that up is like really hard. So I set up my <laughs> physical wallet and it's, this is horrible and it doesn't always connect. And it's like, is all my money lost? No, I'm just struggling to connect, but it, it's a huge pain. Wow. Yeah. I've, I have not dug into that. So I guess to, to back up, like I've owned and invested in cryptocurrency, but it's always been, I'm the simp using Coinbase, right? I set up a Coinbase account. I pay fees. I bought some with PayPal, less fees. It's, I'm not... I'm not like going to that extent. And I'm very technical, by the way. I just don't want to deal with it though. I don't have the time or interest for it. It's like its own hobby and you can get really into it. And I just, DeFi in general, I'm just like, I, I know it's cool and it's going to be, it's super interesting. I just haven't had the desire because I'm afraid that regulation is going to come in and change things enough that have big impacts. But most likely in my mind, it's like the sooner you get into this, the, the better off you are, especially as an engineer, right? The more you learn about creating your own smart contracts, I think that's a technology. I think that can be applied in a bunch of really interesting ways in different ways, but it's a slow burn in my mind. It's not like I need to figure this all out right now. And to your point, when you mess with things like other technologies that have been like this over the past couple of years, like people might be familiar with IPFS or interplanetary file system, like really groundbreaking technology, but it's, it's so early. It's too early for me to get into because I don't know about you, Colin, but when I pick up something like this and it like doesn't work or it doesn't feel like fully baked, I get really frustrated and I'm like, we'll spend a lot of time to fully bake it. Whether it's, I assume it's working for everyone else. And so I can see why this is still early, but um, like, what's the upside from your perspective? What have you found that like, why does it make sense for people to, to start dabbling with this right now? Can you actually make some money? Yeah, I'll get into how the money's made and like why the yields are so high. But just for perspective, so DeFi launched maybe a little over a year and a half ago, right? two years ago, and it's gone from a little under a billion dollars to a hundred billion dollars in total value locked in DeFi in under a year. It's growing incredibly fast. There's tons of money, real money being at, at play here. That is pretty interesting in like large financial institutions, large hedge funds, and they're putting a lot of money at play. So like my little couple hundred dollars is, I felt kind of relatively safe, right? If they're willing to risk all that money. Um, 
But so where does the money come from? I think it's interesting to look at. So there's staking rewards, which is like compensation for helping secure the blockchain. And that's so Ethereum, you could stake it, you get a five to 6%. Then there's lending rates. So people are earning interest by providing funds for other people to borrow. And that's again, six or 7% or something low. Exchange rewards. This is best way to think about it is like in a currency exchange, if you want to exchange dollars for euros, people are taking some little spliff in there and making some money. And so you could basically uh, put your money in these liquidity pools, and then you can make really nice APYs. So real nice yields that are like, I would say 10 to 20 to 30%. And even hmm. just on stable coins, it could be like 8%, which is absurd because it's 0.01% at Chase or something like that. Yeah. So generally in the DeFi world, people are willing to take much higher borrowing rates because they feel good about their opportunity to make you know, way more money on it. If even if they have to borrow dollars at like 6% to do Then there's platform fees, which honestly, I don't understand as well. So if you're doing like sushi, uh, sushi is one of the big exchanges. And so as you do stuff there, you earn sushi tokens and you could stake those sushi tokens to be like, I really believe in sushi as a platform, which is mm -hmm. basically saying, I really believe in sushi as like a startup. And you could lock up your money for a long period of time with them. And then you earn a higher percentage, but where you get these like crazy interest rates and why it was like DeFi summer last year is because you had all these exchanges popping up and then they have incentivized liquidity pools. The best way to think about this is like free Uber rides. <laughs> so like when Uber launched, uh, you get tons of free Uber rides just for being like, Hey, you should check out Uber. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome platform and they're giving free rides to everyone. And so these are incentivized liquidity pools where if people are launching new tokens, they need a way to get other people to provide liquidity for it. And that is offering tons of rewards. Mm -hmm. So if these new exchanges launch, they are just basically giving you, I don't know, 3000% APY or 30,000% APY. And a lot of these are going to zero. They're just printing tokens. And some of them are run pools, like they're designed to be scams, but some of them aren't. And like, you could just turn these crazy APYs and then exchange it out for Ethereum or Bitcoin or something. And that's where you can trace all the yields in a crypto or DeFi from is like one yeah. of these three methods. And last summer was the crazy incentivized liquidity pools. There's still some now, but not as many. And that's where people were making, you know, tons and tons of money. It's all risky. A lot of this stuff will go to zero, but it looks like last summer, a lot of it didn't go to zero. Yeah. I guess that's the, the concern, right? It's like these things get pumped up and they dump right and, and the owners likely sell you know, that's a concern going you know, putting my sec hat this idea that you know it just it reminds me of like options trading people having newsletters like you have to remember there's also this like really seedy part of the the world that that wants to that sees these types of developments sees something new like you had pink sheets before you had whatever else where they have good intentions and reasons and they seem like a great idea, but they, they can be exposed. And mainly it's the people that can be exposed around it. So it's not necessarily, it has nothing to do with DeFi. It has to do with people exploiting and trying to take advantage of one another and using that as a vehicle to do. And it's okay, well, because it's new, maybe we haven't quite found the ways to protect ourselves yet. So putting the sort of skeptic hat, and, and I'm not a skeptic, but saying, what is the SEC getting involved in this lending saying Coinbase cannot lend? cannot you know, provide a lending product based on because the collateral right is your coin. You could have $100,000 of uh, Bitcoin and they're willing to give you some amount of cash for yeah, out of there. It's collateral. Coinbase got in trouble for their like yield bearing accounts. So like offering 6% on 
stable coins or on Ethereum or something like that. There's other ones. I don't think Coinbase is doing it yet. I'm sure they will soon. BlockFi does it where you could put up, you know, $100 in Bitcoin and they'll lend you $50 in cash based on that as collateral. And that, that makes sense. Like if you really believe in Bitcoin, you don't want to sell it ever. It's also like a big tax burden if you got it in the early days. So mm-hmm. you could just lend cash against it and buy a house or something like that. You alluded to buying houses. A lot of people do it in that way. So yeah. I don't, I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in Ethereum. I don't want to cash out ever, but I'll take half my money and down payment on a house is easy then. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Well, I would say one other risk is, yeah, there's a, like a people risk of like rug pulls or like bad actors, but everything is just, it's to me the like Twitter uh, fail whale days. We try to use Twitter and it's just down all the time. So Solana is one of the big layer ones, like a Ethereum competitor. And that just went down for 24 hours. So oh, there God. was something like, I don't know, $10 billion on Solana that just no one could access. And it, everything was just frozen. So I had some money there, not like a, a super meaningful amount, but it was just, it was stuck. The whole network was dead until they rebooted it. And then everyone got their money back and Solana dropped like only 10% or something crazy. I don't know. People didn't seem to be super scared off from it. Or a layer two, a big layer two on Ethereum, it's called Polygon. And that just drops transactions sometimes, like transactions don't get through. So you don't actually lose money, but things are super buggy. Or if you're trying to do stuff on Ethereum, gas fees are just really high. So gas fees are what you have to pay to do anything. And it could be like $150 to buy like a $5 domain, which is something I did. I bought like colinkeely.eth and it cost me $25. And then you have to pay... Uh, a gas fee that varies from like $50 to like a thousand dollars. And I got mm-hmm. it when it was like $150. So it was like, I, I just need this. I like, want it to operate. So I, I paid it, but otherwise it really doesn't make any sense to do anything on Ethereum. Cause it's so expensive unless you're moving like thousands of dollars and you can't really, you know, dabble in anything with on Ethereum. You have to dabble somewhere else like Solana. What is the ETH address give you just instead of having it's like a domain name for your your wallet yeah it's like a domain name or an email so people can send you stuff and it could link out to all your other ones so you could send me like stable coins you send me nfts uh, solana could link to your website like your identity sure although you don't need it you certainly don't you could just have a long string of numbers and that could be your Mm -hmm. identity and everything you use as well so when it comes to businesses trying to transact, like if you were a business, a traditional business, would you get into DeFi? And when I say a business, you're like a, a landscaping company. Like you've got cash, you've got you know customers and employees and all this stuff. And what can they do with it? What can like the average business owner do with it? So I would say if you're sitting on cash, you could put it in stable coins on like Coinbase or Gemini or something and earn 8%. And, or six to eight or something like that, where it's way better than your savings account where you're earning like 0.01%. And then you could have access to the cash in like under a week. So you, if you're just sitting on money, like it's a good way to earn a nice return on your money. But otherwise it's like everything else beyond that is overly risky or overly complicated. I, I do think there's, so we're looking on Blink Sale of uh, touching money and making it easier to exchange money. So I was trying to look into, so moving stuff on Solana is like a thousandth of a cent. So is there Mm -hmm. an opportunity to, you know, onboard normal businesses, normal SMBs to like exchange money instead of doing, sending a check in the mail. And this could be done in five seconds and transactions complete. I don't know. I think there is some people call it like a mullet business 
where it's like uh, normal on the front end and like crypto uh-huh. on the back end. And people don't ever have to know that because it's a mullet. I'm not an expert on this enough to say if you could do like a, a payment processing on it yet. Yeah. For the time being, that's why we chose Coinbase to partner with on, on Blink Sale. At least I'm a big proponent of it. It's just because I don't think I, we're definitely going to turn off the crypto enthusiast that's been in it for five years or whatever, been in it from the start and, and is a super user. But for somebody who has heard about it and wants to try it and is not going to pepper us with their crypto questions, they can go to Coinbase Commerce, set up their account as a business, and you can check out with it. And, and I'm seeing that more and more on Shopify stores, on checkout processes to, to pay with Coinbase wallet, or just your plain wallet. You don't need Coinbase, but I do like it from the entry point of like, hey, they have support, they have a sensible web application that acts like PayPal does or Stripe does, but depending on the coin, there's no fees. They take a cut on certain things, but they really uh, do not take a cut on stable coins. So we've been testing these payments of 20, 50, 100, whatever amount of money. And it's, yeah, fractions of a penny and it's immediate versus our other payment options, which Stripe basically taking almost 3%, which is you can't find, unless you're doing great volume, you're not going to find anyone else to clear credit card payments. That's an industry standard. They're not like gouging or anything. ACH payments, which we also added, they're still up to $5 in fees, which is is better, but it, it also takes about a week. So this really does have a great spot in the market. It's both cheap and fast. Now, the question is, you have that like triangle of, of value of like fast, good, cheaper, it's affordability, it's speed and it's quality. And so I think that the thing that we're not quite sure yet is like with all these different coins, what's the quality? And I think that's where it fans out where it's Bitcoin cash. I can clear a payment in 20, 30 minutes. And it seems like it works great. Ethereum, there's, there seems to be high gas fees and that's by design. Right. And so you have these different coins and in a, a wide market, but to me, like the average business owner, I don't think they're they're quite there yet. They don't have time to think about it. Like you and I, who are fairly savvy, are just getting to it. I would assume other people are soon to come, but it's going to take some time, which makes me super bullish on this. This seems like something that it would make sense to invest heavily in because it, it's, you, you are on the frontier. And when I say heavily, understanding that there's, there's risk and everything, and I'm also not a a licensed financial advisor or anything, but I'm just saying I, from my perspective, I'm way more interested in this as, as a store of value or sticking cash into that's otherwise sitting in a bank account. I, I have enough confidence that things that are volatile won't, that some of these stable coins, they, they have proven over the last year or two that they don't whip around the same way that the these other sort of more speculative tools have. And I think that your point around it being early stages and hedge funds getting involved, that's going to it's going to make things whip around really well or in a pretty amplified way, right? When people are, hey, this hedge fund got involved, they're going to put 100 million into this coin. That's going to make major changes. That's going to yeah. move right. everything. Yeah, I think it's obvious. So Tiger Global, the one like picking off all these venture deals, they're very happy with 18% returns and they just want to deploy as much capital as possible. And I think it's pretty credible to have for the next couple of years in DeFi, like 30% returns. And if that is not terribly risky, like it's not terribly risky on many of these stable coins, you understand why all these crypto hedge funds are popping up where it's like, you should vacuum up as much capital as possible and plow it into all these where the returns are that high until the returns get depressed and like supply outstrips demand. So you, you could see why everyone is doing this and how it makes sense. 
And I think it's probably going to last for a few more years until it's too much supply and then it it will all tamper out and the returns will go back to like normal numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it does seem like it's going to be a bumpy ride, but that's with anything new, right? I think you, in some of your writing, you were saying this feels like the early days of the web and there was boom and bust. There was a buildup, but there was also a crash. And now I think what we look at it's, oh, if, if you, this to me feels like a little bit before that it's like when apple was making the macintosh before they were cool and popular before the ipod came out right it's where no one has come out with the ipod just yet to become that this is a gold mine and forget even the iphone but it does seem spreading money on the table might be interesting getting involved and understanding it is is definitely worth the time so i'm excited to have our, our, our future guest on and pick his brain on on the nitty gritty around it yeah, he's fascinating. The Eric Jorgensen podcast with him is awesome. He is about as bullish as you could possibly be. I think uh, like 95% of his wealth is in Ethereum. And now he's taken like double leverage positions on Ethereum. He's basically thinks it's if you could own the app store of the future for, I don't know, JavaScript or something. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, deploy as much capital as you possibly can into it is mostly his perspective. And to say there's going to be boom and bust, it's like, there's, it drops like 20% almost monthly. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. Like, if that happens in the stock market, it's like a yeah, end of the world, but it's like a, any other Tuesday in a Bitcoin or Ethereum for something to do that. So yeah, definitely uh, not a smooth ride upward. I would say from my experience with it, it's just like, you have to have a belief that it's, this is a long-term play and, and almost just shut your eyes to the day-to-day drama. Otherwise you're going to miss out. Yeah, it'll drive you insane if you actually watch any chart. Like I've owned Bitcoin for quite a while, uh, not like an enormous amount, but uh, you just can't look at it. Like just literally don't look at it. And then it's once a year, it's, oh, good. It's up, you know, 50%. And you didn't see it all the times it dropped like 90% in that time to get there. I tell you, it's the same thing if you bought Apple stock in 1992 or something. <laughs> but seriously, it went, it had years where it did terrible. But then if you woke up one day in 2020, it had split, it done a seven to one split and, and gone up a couple thousand percent, right? It, whatever you put your money in. But when they were getting beat up by IBM, when they were getting beat up by Microsoft, it, it doesn't look so good. This is investing in a nutshell, but uh, you have to have that long-term hold faith. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see, to see how the government learns about this, how the SEC reasons with it. It isn't, it's not doing anything that they shouldn't be able to wrap their heads around. I just, I wonder what type of resources the SEC has to grasp these things, to regulate these things, to, to see where this fits in. And in my mind, all it's going to take is enough money within this world to say, hey, no, like we're doing this. Because like, that we, the people vibe with the internet or with the, uh, the government. It's, if enough people accept it, say marijuana or whatever, if it becomes socially acceptable, the government will fight. It's not the other way around. They're not going to, we don't live in China where it's just, okay, no more tech companies, no, no more mining. It's, it's generally following the notion of business. The U S government is fueled by money, right? It's if the taxpayers that are if all the, the top blue chip companies come out and say, Hey, no, we need DeFi in order to compete with China. It's a strategic initiative. It's likely going to happen. The SEC figure out a, a way and coalesce. Yeah, I think it all goes back to, to taxes. There's going to be enormous wealth creation in crypto, and there already has been. I mean, there's an insane number of billionaires that have been created here. And the government wants as much taxes as possible, and that is their incentive structure. And so banning it or anything, uh, regulating it too much would be disastrous. So I think uh, more so they want to figure out how they can uh, tax it appropriately. 
which is going to be an enormous headache. It's uh, very ambiguous now. Like what is a taxable event? And there's uh, some apps popping up that it's, so everything you do on Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever is tracked on the blockchain. And so you could go back and these apps can go through and be like, Hey, you owe one penny in taxes here, $10 in taxes here and sum it up and you could submit your taxes that way. So it, it, that all has to be, become more concrete. And so people actually understand what their tax burden is. My, my plan for hard. now is as long as you're not selling stuff, you shouldn't really have that many taxable events. So the punting for a little bit until these apps are like further along where it's your taxes could be done somewhat automatically. Yeah, it's pretty hard to do yourself. In my opinion, I don't take great notes when I do transactions. And again, I'm just like a noob with all this stuff. But I have, you know, put a bunch of money in and then took a bunch of money out and then put money in and then switched it from coin to coin. And it's like, God, I don't remember what. And Coinbase, <laughs> I think they have a record of it, but it's not great. It's not like my TD Ameritrade account where it's, okay, here's your your net gains. Because they, they actually have software built in there that handles it. So you're right, it's super early. So I guess one actionable thing how could you get involved if you sign up on sushi and like how can you do you just buy a stable coin and the apy you're talking about is that just from holding it and selling it at some point and just it's going to appreciate in, in value or do you need to participate in some form of lending so if you want to hit me up on twitter i'm happy to give you a more step-by-step -step approach but absolute easiest way is to use a centralized exchange so the big ones are coinbase gemini blockfi like multi-billion dollar companies and you could buy Ethereum, buy Bitcoin, buy a stable coin, and then you could earn yield. You put it in one of their earn accounts and earn like 6% or something like that. So, so blockchain, as far as or, like, sorry, so Coinbase already does this. Yeah. Uh, oh. No, actually, I think they launched it. I'm not sure. Uh, Gemini and BlockFi 100% do. Gemini is probably the second biggest to Coinbase. So I guess it's a start there. But if you actually wanted to get really into it, put a few hundred dollars in MetaMask and go to some of these liquidity pools and stake some liquidity pools and go find auto compounders and like kind of move stuff around. But that will cost you some money in gas fees and is like probably more advanced than anyone else needs to deal with. So I'd say mm. you could just go 50-50 Bitcoin, Ethereum and sit on it. And that's probably your best way to, if you believe in this or will believe in the future, like just have a little bit invested and just don't look at it for a couple of years. Right on. I like that attitude. Good. Well, this has yeah. been a good primer. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> I, I feel like I've learned a ton. I feel like my brain hurts from trying to understand all this stuff, but uh, it's good. It's definitely good to know. I think it's super relevant to like a lot of the stuff we're doing. Would you ever mine? Is that like a thing anymore? Or is it just that's for the people that have data centers and the hardware uh, to do it? Yeah. So mining is basically a game of like where you can get the cheapest electricity nowadays. Uh, a long yeah. time ago, it was like you could just do it and make some money. Now, if you're just running it in your house, you're going to be losing money, basically guaranteed. So you need specialized equipment and super low electricity. <laughs> a long time ago, maybe eight years ago. We were in a, at a startup in a really nice building because we had a sublease and we weren't paying for electricity. And the <laughs> startup ended up going out of money, but I was like, we should be mining. Like, and we would have made a tremendous amount more money doing that with our free electricity than we did working on the startup we were working on. Yeah, man, that would have been fun. Yeah. Basically, every time I was like, ah, I should focus on this more, and I never did, was a mistake in hindsight. Like every single time I wanted to put more money in Bitcoin or Ethereum and I didn't do it. Like it's just gone up into the right, which isn't guaranteed forever, but has historically been the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of all I got. Unless you have anything else, Jason, next, next week, that'll be really good. Yeah, no, I think that this is a good 
primer, a good background, and we're going to keep talking about this. We'll see how it, once we have the crypto features released on Blink, so I'm curious to see how your average business, which is in my mind, our like sweet spot. We have pretty plain chain businesses and we'll see. I'm curious to see how many people set up an account and actually do transactions that way. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great if they could store their like some of their invoices in this crypto. It tends to go up if they could ignore it. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Until next week. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. <laughs>